do you ever want to go down into the ocean and see all the whales? No, the whales, the whales, the whales only, um, only, only swim um, in the Pacific, in the Pacific Ocean. Have you ever seen one before? Uh uh-uh. uh. Have you ever been to the zoo? Only when I was one. When you were one? When I didn't have any memory. The voice you just heard belongs to Theo, a seven-year-old boy from Berkeley who's been homeless his whole life, living in RVs, hotel rooms, and often in a tent in a park. I'm Damian Bulwa, managing editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, and in today's episode of Fifth and Mission, we'll be talking about Theo and what his story tells us about the Bay Area's homelessness epidemic. Joining me is photographer Gabrielle Lurie and reporter Sarah Ravani who've been following Theo and his mother for a year. You can see the story and photos at sfchronicle.com slash Theo. Gabrielle and Sarah, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Damien. Gabrielle, I want to start with you. I want to ask how you first came upon Theo and how you decided to start following him. Yeah, so I started following Theo because I went I went out to Berkeley for an assignment for a story, actually, that Sarah was writing about um, the RVs in Berkeley. And I remember when I went out the first day, I saw a kid and his mom zoom past me, like right behind me. And I thought, that's weird. I wonder if they're homeless. And um, I went back the next day because I didn't really love the photos I had gotten. So I went back and I saw them again and I started asking around, like, is that, do they live here? You know, what's the story here? Um, And they said, yeah, they're homeless, actually. They're sleeping in a tent outside of an RV. And I was really shocked. And I went over and talked to them. um, And they were just really open to telling me everything that was going on with them, showing me the inside of their tent. They were really, like, friendly and gregarious. And I said, you know, would you mind if I kind of, learned more about you guys and spent more time with you. Um, And they were very open to it. Um, Unfortunately, I actually went on vacation for two weeks that next day. Um, And to my surprise, when I got back, she answered my phone call and said, yeah, come on over and hang out. And so I sort of slowly built a rapport with them and then brought Sarah in. It sounds like you were surprised because as terrible as the homeless problem is in the Bay Area, it is pretty unusual to see a seven-year-old boy living in a tent. Yeah, I've never seen a child in a tent before. I've seen children in RVs or maybe in a tiny home, but it it was pretty shocking to me. Um, and it's it's very rare. And I thought that we could tell homelessness through the eyes of a child. Um, I thought that would be an interesting perspective that we hadn't seen before. Um, and I've covered a lot of homeless stories but never through the eyes of a child. So I thought this would be a good opportunity. Sarah, how did they get to this place? Um, You write that Theo has been homeless his whole life. Um, How did he come to be living there? So yeah, Theo was born homeless. Um, His mom and his dad were were together at the time. Um, His dad was in and out of jail and his mom was just kind of trying to, I, I feel like, his entire life, his mom has pretty much been in survival mode, um, trying to figure out where they're going to sleep. So they really alternated for a while between living at, um, you know, Theo's dad's father's house for a while. And then they had 
Um, sometimes they stayed in motels and then they had an RV, which was the last consistent place that Theo had a roof over his head. But the city towed the RV in 2018. Um, but even before they towed it, I mean, the RV was inoperable. It didn't have electricity or running water, but it was still a much better form of shelter than a tent. So in 2018, um, you know, they lost the RV. They were in motels for a while. And then, um, you know, Theo's mom and dad split up. And then since then, um, his mother, Naomi, has basically, um, you know, taken him to hotels, motels, and then a tent when they don't have anywhere else to go. So they park in different um, or they camp in different parks. And is the city aware are, are the authorities aware that there's a homeless boy out there? Yes. Um, we were, you know, we we witnessed police come to their tent and they knew Naomi by her first name, um, had a seemingly pretty good relationship. Just, hey, we're coming to check in on you. And when I started asking questions, um, you know, to the city, they also knew about her case, were very, you know, um, intimately aware of all the details and they knew about Theo. But what was interesting is that um, in the you know point in time count, the count that um, they take every two years, you know, they go out on a night in January and they count all the homeless people. And that's the federal data for that city. Um, they counted zero unsheltered children in the city of Berkeley. And so it really kind of lended this um, realization just how invisible Theo is. Even though people know he exists and they know about his situation, he's still invisible. Okay, if people know about it and and have sought to help them, what what has gone wrong? Why are they still out there? Um, what are what are they saying, and what do the authorities say about trying to get them housed? It's pretty complicated. Um, you know, the city says that they have tried to help this family many times. Um, but that Naomi is housing resistant, doesn't take them up on their help, is difficult to work with. Um, and for Naomi, um, she says the city lies. Um, she says that they haven't actually offered her, you know, they said that they offered her, um, you know, at least five places in the city of Berkeley. And she says that's completely false. Um, you know, she, it, it's just this like tug of war between um, a city saying we're trying to help and a homeless mother saying you are not giving the help that I need. Yeah. And you guys ha have an amazing scene where she actually goes to the Berkeley city council and speaks, correct? Yeah. So that was the day she had lost her housing voucher and Berkeley gives housing vouchers and you have it for six months. So, which means that, you have to find a place where you can use that voucher within a six-month time period. If you do not, you lose your voucher. She had it for seven months, um, but did not find a place. And so she her, her housing voucher expired. And um, she went to the city council meeting incredibly upset and just, you know, kind of laid into them. 
And understandably so. I mean, she hadn't, she felt like she hadn't um, been given many options. She felt like she didn't have a housing navigator that was dedicated enough to show her places, especially places within her requirements. She wanted someplace near Theo's school. They don't have a car. Um, So all of these kind of came to a head at this meeting. All right. I want to dig into the the issue of why they're still homeless more later. But Gabrielle, I want to ask you about a few of the photos. The the photos in this piece are incredibly powerful. You've been following them. I don't know how many days, days and days on end, um, you know, seeing into the most intimate parts of their life. There's a photo of of Theo in in his hammock at a park outside a tent. Um, What's the story there? Yeah, so that was one of the first days that I met them. And um, when I came back from my vacation, I I met them and they were staying in Strawberry Creek, which is a park in Berkeley. And he had a hammock set up alongside his tent. And it was actually one of his favorite things. Um, I think what makes him so special is that he's able to create a world around wherever he is. And so there's a little creek with crawfish and he goes, you know, fishing for the crawfish in the creek and he lays out in his hammock. And I think it was actually that evening that they roasted marshmallows. And so there's this sense of adventure and kind of like, um, like his imagination kind of runs wild, which is, is really beautiful. And, um, it kind of shows his resilience, um, but then there's also there's also a I think a deep sadness in him because he he also knows that that's he doesn't really have an option of where he can sleep and I think that day or or one of those days he sat on a swing with a girl who said you know um, where do you live and he pointed and he said over there and he pointed to the hammock in the tent. And the girl said, you know, do you like it over there? And he said, no, but I like the hammock, you know. So um, I think it sort, of, it sort of shows like his sweet, vulnerable side, um, but also like his kind of creative imagination, um, which is, you know, what I've grown to really love about him is he, he finds a way through all of the struggle to just be a kid. There's also a, some photos of Theo that where he's doing ordinary things, he's with other children, he's at school, um, he's having a seven-year-old boy's life, and you tried to capture that. Yeah, I really tried to capture him, you know, at his birthday party, um, you know, um, just even in the grocery store playing with balloons. And I think what's so amazing about him is that he is he's a kid that has to shower at the YMCA, um, occasionally, but he also is a kid that takes swimming lessons at the YMCA. So, um, being in this affluent community has afforded him to kind of have like a, a a multifaceted childhood. Um, and he loves to swim and he talks about it often. So did you jump in or did you dive in? He threw me. Oh, really? At this hotel? Yes. In the deep end. In the deep end? When I was four, when I didn't know how to swim. How about now? Do you know how to swim now? Yeah, I took sw- I took swimming lessons last week. Are you like the best swimmer ever? No, I haven't completed them. I can't I can't stay above the water. 
I can't, I can't like stay above the water. I'll just keep sinking and sinking, but I can, but I can, but I can float with rock mode. Do you like swimming? Yeah, I love swimming. Let's take a quick break. I'm talking to reporter Sarah Ravani and photographer Gabrielle Lurie. Their story about Theo is online at sfchronicle.com slash Theo. Welcome back. This is Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bolwa. I'm here with reporter Sarah Ravani and photographer Gabrielle Lurie. We're talking about their story, Theo, about a homeless seven-year-old boy in Berkeley. Um, I want to ask you guys before we go further, why spend so much time? Why cover this story? Why is it important? Um, You know, both Gabrielle and I have done a lot of stories on homelessness, and homelessness is such a huge issue in California. Um, You know, in Berkeley, the the numbers increased by 11% in two years, but in Alameda County, it was about 40%. And it seems like the solutions that, um, you know, local and state officials are trying are not really working. And we've done a lot of stories about that. But this particular story telling the experience through, you know, telling the story through the experience of a child was so important to us because, you know, Theo is completely helpless in his situation. He doesn't get to make a choice about how his day goes, uh, where he sleeps, where he eats, what he eats, really. Um, I think his story really captures the unique vulnerability that people can experience when they're homeless and who is more vulnerable than a child. Yeah, just to jump in there, I just wanted to kind of add to that, which is that, you know, I think when we think of an adult who's unhoused, we think that they have some autonomy to decide where they want to sleep or what they're going to eat or who they're going to interact with. Um, And I think seeing Theo kind of just be dragged from one place to another um, without any say in in what he does, I, I found really interesting. And I, I wanted to like kind of figure out what goes on in his head, how he experiences the world. Um, and what, what does it mean for a child, like a child to have a, have their childhood be out on the street in public. I mean, there's so many things that he's done in public. You know, he sits in the lobbies of hotels on computers, you know, he's, outside on the sidewalk eating pizza. And so his life just exists in a very different form. So I thought that was worth, you know, exploring. Well, well, let's talk about that. I mean, I think some people are going to read the piece and wonder, should something be done? Should some, should there be a different decision made here? Um, Why, you know, have, have the authorities thought of simply taking Theo away from his mother? Is that a possibility? So homelessness is not a crime. Um, the only time that CPS would get involved to take the child away is if there were examples of abuse or neglect. And, you know, Naomi is quite a fierce fighter for her son. Um, she really takes care of him. And, you know, I asked the city about, about that and they said, you know, there is no evidence of abuse or neglect, and we certainly didn't witness that. You know, he comes to school every day, he's washed, he's clean, he's fed. And, you know, she really tries to also, in the midst of their 
um, lives, their difficult lives, she really tries to create glimmers of normalcy for him. Um, you know, whether that's taking him to the marina to fish, go um, fly a kite at Cesar Chavez Park. She really, really tries to give him some semblance of a normal childhood in whatever way that she can. And what about the father? Um, where is he? I think you write that that he is um, seeking visitation of some kind. So Theo's dad, um, his name is Paul Taj Schrager. He lives in an RV in West Oakland with his girlfriend. Um, he's also homeless. And he saw his son, I mean, the last time officially in 2018 on Halloween, um, they did have a chance encounter during, you know, in June, but um, it wasn't anything very significant, you know, between him and Theo. Um, so he hasn't seen his child since, and he was granted visitation rights. Um, but, you know, him and Naomi have had a very tumultuous relationship that also included um, domestic violence. And she is very adamant of about protecting her son from his father. And so she has not shown up for the uh, visitation. And he is now attempting to sue her to get those days. Um, but she's not showing up to court. So it's this kind of this constant back and forth. And now with the pandemic, it's all um, it's all pretty much on hold. And of course, a lot of people have seen Theo out there. They're frustrated. They want to help. Um, can you talk about the last several months as you guys have been following them? They've been shuttling from place to place, right? Hotels. There's been some donations um, back and forth. They've spent, I think, at least one night um, near the freeway. Um, and now it's the pandemic. What's, what's been going on? I think the pandemic has been really stressful for them. Um, it started out okay. They were among other homeless families, um, at a hotel in Berkeley. And because of rules about becoming a tenant, um, in hotels after a certain amount of time, they were asked to leave for what they thought was going to be one day. Um, there's, it's a little unclear, but they were asked not to come back after that day. And they were unaware that that was going to happen. And so um, around 10 PM when the hotel was closing its doors, Naomi had nowhere to stay. Um, and she was extremely stressed out. It was probably the most stressed out I've ever seen her. And their only option really was to stay in a friend's tent under the freeway. And since then, they have been mostly in a tent. Um, they're now staying at the RVs, which is where I met them exactly one year ago. Um, they're staying in a tent outside of a friend's RV. But um, I, I've, seen, I've seen Theo's behavior begin to deteriorate. And I think the lack of structure for him, um, not going to school, not seeing his friends you know, not being on any kind of schedule and sort of um, having a computer in front of him um, has been really difficult. So I, I've seen him have more out, outbursts than I had probably collectively in, you know, the nine or 10 months that I knew him. We do have an audio clip where you can hear that. Theo's been on a Zoom call for distance learning with his school. And like a lot of other kids, he hates it. The call's been disconnected and Theo and Naomi are fighting. 
We all logged out, and she <gasps> locked Get me. Get back in. She logged me out. She was saving your butt, and we, I'm yelling, and you're not understanding. You don't put your foot in your mouth. I'm yelling because it scares me. There's germs everywhere. Don't put your foot in your mouth, okay? Yeah, it's over. No, it is not. Class is not over. It was because I was yelling. Well, I don't know how you guys can answer it, but but what's the solution here? I think people are going to want to want to know. Is there anything that can be done? I think we can all agree that a seven-year-old boy should not be homeless. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why we've stuck with this, is that we can't understand how is it possible during a pandemic that there's a child in a tiny little tent outside in, frankly, very cold weather. I don't know that there's an easy solution. Um, I would say it requires a lot more hand-holding than has been done. Purely from my personal observation, I've seen that the tool, the, the resources that are out there want her to be very accountable. Um, they want her to show up for meetings. They want her to walk through the doors. Um, they want her to sign a lot of paperwork. Um, and that's not something that she's able to do. And um, so I think that's there's a big tension between them and uh, between her and the city. Um, and, you know, I think it's very easy from an outsider's perspective to not fully understand the toll that homelessness takes on a person and having watched, you know, her get very little sleep, have people approach her tent at all hours of the night. Um, you know, you kind of begin to lose semblance of reality. And so I think it's easy to become paranoid. It's, um, and st- and start feeling like everything's kind of stacked up against you. So I think it's kind of this interplay between um, a program that wants you to be accountable and a person that doesn't feel like they can, you know, meet meet those standards. And also, sorry, just to, sorry, just to add one more thing, Naomi is always in crisis mode. You know, she goes to sleep and she's in a crisis. She go she wakes up and she's in a crisis. There is no break even when she's asleep for the few hours that she is. And so that also makes it really difficult and it's a really stressful existence. One thing I want to ask you guys about is just the process for readers of reporting this story, doing an immersive project. Gabrielle, how did you even sort of find Naomi and Theo all the time? Yeah, finding them was actually a challenge. Um, Luckily, she did have a phone, but it was often off or broken. And so part of our journey with her was being able to track her down. And so Sarah and I would ride around Berkeley looking for her. We ended up becoming friends with cafe owners um, who she was staying nearby and they would check in on her or we'd, we'd check in with neighbors that we knew were close by. And so um, we really kind of became a part of whatever community she was a part of in order to kind of keep an eye on her. And I just have to say the joy of when we would finally like see her as we're scouring the streets of Berkeley is something I really can't explain. Like we were just like, oh my gosh, we found her. We've been searching for over an hour. (laughs) There was just, I don't know, there was something very rewarding. (laughs) And, And why did, why did she let you into her life? I think she knows the power of this story 
And she knows fundamentally that her child should not be growing up outside. She she wants him to have his own room. She wants him to have privacy. She wants him to grow up with a kitchen where they can cook and she can teach him how to cook. Um, and when they when they have stability, they are um, they they do a lot better. So I think she knows that this is maybe uh, a lifeline for her. All right. I want to thank you guys for coming on. It's an incredibly powerful and important story. Thank you so much for doing it. And again, for readers, it's online at sfchronicle.com slash Theo. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Gabrielle. Thank you. Thanks, Damien. Thanks to my guests today, photographer Gabrielle Lurie and reporter Sarah Ravani, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs> 